Well, please grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are continuing this series, a new series, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we'll be looking at verses 18 through 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And I'll read the text for today and then open with a prayer. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Father, we thank You for the cross. It is all we have. The cross is where we are set free from sin and guilt and shame. The cross is where all of those debts that weighed us down were transferred from our account to the account of Your Son. Father, we are so thankful that the Word of the cross that in our natural state we consider to be foolish, You have made it known to us as Your power and our only hope. Lord, we ask that today as we study this Word that we would be uplifted by the cross. That we would decrease and You would increase. And Lord, I ask, though I am a sinner, both by nature and by choice, that You would still anoint me to preach Your Word that I would not get in the way of the text this morning, but that Your Word would be clear to Your people. And that through this study, through this glorious event of hearing directly from You in Your Word, that we would be made more like Jesus today. And we ask that in His name. Amen. Well, as we've been studying this book and looking at the context surrounding the city of Corinth, and this church in Corinth, the church of God that is located in Corinth, we've learned that the Corinthians were prone to serve themselves, and we're only going to see that more and more through this book. There are several issues that are addressed in the book of 1 Corinthians, several sin issues, but the overarching issue, the one that we see right from the beginning of the book that really covers all the other issues they're having, is their propensity to serve themselves through unsanctified wisdom. Unsanctified wisdom. What is unsanctified wisdom anyway? Well, it's wisdom that starts with man and ends with man. It's wisdom that comes from our own coconuts. 
that we conjure up and maybe some of us get together and we come up with ideas and we think these are really good ideas instead of first saying, what does God say? Instead of first looking at the Word of God and submitting to the Word of God. So in contrast to unsanctified wisdom, you could say that sanctified wisdom, instead of starting with man, it starts with fearing God. And the next place it goes is the cross. It's Paul's message to these Corinthians. And it's his message for us today that the Spirit of God working through him as he wrote it 2,000 years ago and the Spirit of God working in us as the true author of this book, we would understand that sanctified wisdom starts with fearing God. And the next step is to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we do this, the very foundation of worldly thinking is utterly destroyed. It takes man out of the picture completely. And it puts God at the center and His message for us, His gospel for us, at the center. And perhaps you might be struggling with thinking right thoughts and you want to have godly thoughts and you want to have the godly wisdom that Scripture talks about. Well, today's message is for you. If you want to have godly thoughts, this is where we start. We start in the Word of God. Let's look at verses 18 and 19 again. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. What is the word of the cross? Well, let's remember this is coming off the heels of verse 17 that we looked at last week. Remember, look at it again. Verse 17, Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. The cross, the word of the cross is the gospel. Simple gospel teaching, not in human devices, not coming up with clever speech, not coming up with some pragmatic worldly way to present it, but holding up simply the cross of Christ and explaining what Jesus has done, relying on God's power alone, not our own strategies. Because the cross is absolutely central to the good news. If the cross of Christ is taken away, you no longer have a gospel. There is no power in that message. Sin is not taken away. There is no forgiveness. But in the cross, we see where the final sacrifice was made. We see the propitiation that Christ made for us. And that's a word you don't use, is it? <laughs> propitiation. Anybody want to try to spell it for the whole class? No. Uh, propitiation. What this word means is that something is being satisfied. And in the context of the cross, Jesus is satisfying God's demands. And Jesus is appeasing God's wrath. Propitiation. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just this random series of events that led to this sad ending and we all weep for the one who died. But this is very central to the plan of God. That God, throughout all of human history, knowing that He would take care of sin, planned this out. Jesus was nailed to the cross by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, Peter said in Acts chapter 2. He was making atonement for the sins of the world. Our sins. 
that justly deserve the wrath of God. But beyond that, beyond the cross being central to the gospel, beyond the cross being the place where final sacrifice was made, the cross is humiliating. And the cross is shameful. You have to understand that to the Corinthians, in their natural state, in their context, in that culture at that time, what was the cross? Well, it wasn't powerful. It was folly. It was shameful. It was utterly humiliating to this group of people, these philosophers who wanted to build themselves up through worldly wisdom. What is the cross? The cross doesn't fit into that equation. You can't be humiliating yourself and building yourself up at the same time. You see, worldly wisdom is all about self-exaltation, self-exaltation, and self-glorification. But the cross is about humiliation. The cross is about shame. It's the antithesis of the world. And it's reckoned as moronic to the lost. You see that word in verse 18 again, foolishness. The word of the cross is moronic. That's a, that's a better literal translation. It's where we get our word moron. To the Greeks, these wise men, so-called, the cross was foolish. They reckoned it as moronic. And why did they do that? Well, this teaches us in verse 18, because they are perishing. Notice that it doesn't say because they've reckoned the word of the cross as foolishness, they are perishing. It doesn't say that. They already are perishing. They're already under judgment. They're already under condemnation. And that's why they consider the cross to be foolishness. The lost and dying world has no respect for the cross because they are lost and dying. Their foolish hearts call wisdom folly, call good evil. Their foolish hearts are darkened. And this is called the Noetic effect of the sin. The noetic effect of the sin. Not like Noah and the flood. Not that kind of Noah. N-O-E-T-I-C. Noetic effect. It comes from a Greek word meaning mind. The word nous. It means mind. N-O-U-S. And this term, this theological term, the noetic effect of sin, has to do with sin's impact on our thinking. Sin's impact on our reasoning. And did you know, I hope you do know, that our thinking is flawed in our fallen state. Our reasoning is not pure. We are born into this world starting at a major loss because we are unable to think and reason the way God originally designed us. We are born into a fallen state. And that's why those who are perishing reckon this beautiful cross as folly. But... For the saved, for those who have been born again, those who have been regenerated, those who have been renewed in their thinking by the power of God, what is it to us? Verse 18, it is the power of God. The cross is no longer moronic, but the cross is now the very power of God. The cross is what we cling to. It's our passion. That was Paul's ministry, was the word of the cross, the very gospel itself. I love this word from James Boyer. He said, The vindication of the cross is not wisdom that it makes sense, but power that it works. The cross is vindicated not by earthly wisdom, 
Not by all of us sitting around and saying, yeah, that makes sense. That's why it's right. It doesn't make any sense to us, does it? That the one, the only one who is truly deserving of all things would make himself empty? Would pour himself out even unto death? It's not wisdom that it makes sense, but the vindication of the cross is power that it works. We are saved by this word of the cross that the whole world considers to be foolish. We are saved by it because it is the power of God. And God has been orchestrating all of human history leading up to that moment of the cross. In verse 19, Paul is quoting from Isaiah 29. He's reckoning back to a moment in Israel's history when Judah's king, Hezekiah, was fearful because the Assyrians were on the move. The Assyrians were going to overtake Judah, so he thought. And he called in counsel. He had counsel from some advisors who said, you should partner with Egypt. You should move forward with a partnership with the land of Egypt to protect yourself from these Assyrians who are going to destroy you. And he also got counsel from the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah said, you don't need Egypt. You have the God of the universe who loves Israel and will protect you. Trust and obey. They didn't trust. They didn't obey. They partnered with the Egyptians and the Egyptians did not come through. But God did. God sent His angel. 185,000 Assyrians dead. He had the wisdom of the world and He had the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world calling to Him saying, this is the strategy. This, this makes sense on paper. Do this. And then he had the wisdom of God saying, trust and obey. You don't know how God's going to do it, but he will do it. And Paul quotes that here in this context where God said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. He's quoting that because the world says one thing about our lives. Do this, do that. You'll find joy. You'll find peace. You'll find happiness. You'll find life in this. And God comes along and says, the cross This can make sense to us. All these plans and all these strategies and, and whatever it might be, self-help books, whatever it is, that could make sense. We could maybe find purpose for a few years in that. But that's not trusting and obeying God at the end of the day if you don't have the cross. Because God's gospel message, His plan of life for you, is Jesus' death on the cross. And when you have that, you have everything. You've heard it before, everything uh, minus Jesus is nothing, and nothing plus Jesus is everything. It's true. It's true. So you look foolish in the world's eyes. So you look weak in the world's eyes. Maybe even in your own family's eyes. But the word of the cross is the power of God. And if you have the cross, you have the power of God. And all else will fail. But the cross will never fail you. We must trust God, not our own plans, not our own wisdom. God's plan is better than our plans. And this is the dividing line for all of humanity. Every single person with breath in his or her lungs at this moment is on one side of the cross. 
This divides all people in the world. All humanity either trusts the word of the cross or trusts self. I want to read to you a couple of verses from Isaiah 29. This is verses 15 and 16 that followed the one that Paul quoted. Isaiah 29 verse 15 says, Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us? Or who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made would not say to its maker, he did not make me. Or what is formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. When we reject the wisdom of God for the wisdom of the world, we're turning things around. We're turning from God. We're, we're turning to things that are vain and dying. Things that have no power. Instead of submitting to God who is all-powerful. God is categorically different than we are. He has eternal wisdom and eternal power offered to us in the cross. Therefore, our thinking must start with Him. We must start in submission to God. Sanctified wisdom is to first fear God and then to look to the cross. So Paul calls all contenders here, verse 20. Where are you, wise man? Come on out, scribe. Get on over here, debater. And then he asks, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul's asking, will you outsmart God? Will you prove God to be a fool? You who are wise in this world, you who are wise in this age. The phrase that Paul uses, the series of questions that Paul uses in verse 20 covers Jews and Gentiles alike. Scribes, those who are devoted to the law and philosophers who are out there in the Greek culture. Bring all your smartest guys in Corinth, Paul says. Can you prove God to be foolish? The answer, of course, to each one of these is a loud rhetorical no. Because God makes foolish the world's wisdom, not the other way around. God is the one who stands in opposition to the world's wisdom, proving it to be foolish. The world's wisdom utterly fails to meet God's standard of wisdom. God has a standard. Did you know this? <laughs> that God has standards. What is holy? What is good? What is just? And with wisdom, God's standard is intrinsic to His nature. God is eternal. And He's not just eternal, but He's eternally perfect. In fact, we sometimes refer to God's attributes as His perfections. He's perfect in all that He does. And the world's wisdom could never be perfect. It could never meet God's standard. And we find in verse 21, there's only one way to come to know God. Because... It says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. There's only one way to come to know God, and that's God saving you. That's God reaching into your life, interrupting your life, and causing you to be born again to a living hope. In our natural state and on our own, we will never come to know God. We are born not neutral. We are born not good. 
We are born enemies of God. That is our natural state. And as enemies, we could never make ourselves children of God. We could never adopt ourselves. But what is required is that God save us. Those of us who are all foolish at heart and blind and deaf by our will. Foolish, blind, deaf. That is how Scripture speaks of us in our natural state. Sin clouds all that we do and it affects our thinking. Turn with me back just one book to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 verses 18 through 23. This is perhaps the clearest and most concise Scripture that speaks of our natural state. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And what were those men doing? It says... These men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Do you see how sin has affected our thinking? How in our natural state, what we choose to do is suppress the truth, to replace God with idols, to hold down, push down that truth, and to bring in the world's wisdom that's full of lies, that doesn't start with fearing God, that doesn't start with the cross, but instead starts with man and ends with man. That is what we naturally do, seeking to exalt ourselves. But that is not the wisdom of God. It's the antithesis of the cross. Gordon Fee says, a God discovered by human wisdom will be both a projection of human fallenness and a source of human pride. And this constitutes the worship of the creature, not the Creator. He went on to say, the gods of the wise are seldom gracious to the undeserving, and they tend to make considerable demands on the ability of people to understand them. Hence, they become gods only for the elite and the deserving. What's the word of the cross? It's not come all you elite and come all you deserving. It's a simple message that reaches out to all, especially the least of us. Because Christ died as the least of us. He died in shame. He died bearing guilt, publicly displayed as a criminal. That is how our Savior died. The word of the cross, therefore, goes out to the least among us, recognizing that we are unable to come to know God on our own. God must save us, and we see that at the cross. We can't do this on our own, but we need the cross. 
God in human flesh, the eternal one, the one who created all things, the Son of God who existed in glory but left the throne above to come here and to live a life among sinful men. He was found in the likeness of men. And he lived a perfect life. He never did one thing wrong. He never thought one thing wrong. Everything he did was only perfect always. And yet he was condemned to death, the death that we deserved. Just like we sang right before the sermon, every bitter thought, every evil deed crowned his blood-stained brow because he was in our place bearing the penalty that was reserved for us. And he breathed his last. He died. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Three days later, he walked away from a grave, proving that he is who he said he was, that he is God, that he is Lord, and to him every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we should start now because it will happen. You will do it. But God is calling you through the word of the cross now, today. If there is breath in your lungs today, you submit to your Lord who died in your place. The Corinthians had experienced this. They were saved. They were believers. Paul calls them brothers. But they needed to view wisdom through the cross. It was a cultural challenge for them. Greek philosophers. It was all about worldly wisdom, but they needed to incorporate the cross. When God entered the world in the person of Christ, He created new wisdom for the world. He gave us the cross that the world counts as folly, but to us it is power. It's an out-of-this-world message, isn't it? If it was a part of what we would come up with in this world, we would never think, oh, well, the one who owns all things, he should die. Or the only one who is truly righteous, he should be treated as a criminal. This message was out of this world because we would never think of this. As David Lowry said, the brilliance of man cannot appreciate the plan of God. The central part of the message is God's utter humiliation. You ever think about God being humble? We talk about that in our systematic theology class. It's one of the attributes of God, that God is humble. Does God need to be humble? Do we deserve a humble God? Yet God, because of the great love with which He loved us, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And to the world, it's so foolish. I hope you've experienced this. I hope, I hope you've had, metaphorically, the spit be flung in your face as you've brought the word of the cross. I hope you felt it. It's our calling, isn't it, to take the word of the cross out there? And you need to see the world for what it is, lost and dying and perishing. They hate the cross. They think it's foolish. They don't want anything to do with the cross. They want to be exalted. They want to be lifted up. They want to be the ones in glory. And our message is, look at our Savior. 
hanging there in shame. That's the gospel. The cross has consistently been mocked historically. Think of the Jews. When Jesus walked the earth, what did the Jews think of the cross? It was mocked. Think of Peter, Jesus' very own disciple. When Jesus said that he was going to be crucified, Peter's first response was, may it never be. And perhaps you remember Jesus' response, get behind me, Satan. Think of the crowd who wanted Barabbas. What did the cross mean to them? It's a place of shame. And think of the world today. The ones with which we share. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, isn't it? Man might think the cross is foolish, but what is God doing through the cross? Look back at verse 20 with me, the end of verse 20. God is making foolish the wisdom of the world through that very cross. Jews seek signs and Greeks demand wisdom, it says in verse 22. They're out there asking for more evidence, more philosophy. What is that? That is foolishness. In their, in their world, they think the cross is foolishness, but the cross is speaking to us and saying that is foolishness. Seeking after evidence, seeking after philosophy. That is foolish. And when we go out and proclaim the gospel, we shouldn't give men evidence and we shouldn't give men philosophy. We should give men the cross. They are going to see it as foolish unless God in His infinite power reaches in and causes that dead body to start breathing. And it's the only message that will do it. The word of the cross. No evidence, no philosophy will ever do it. You see, man can't elevate himself and God at the same time. One's going to lose. And when man is asking for more and more of these things from his sphere, from the world's wisdom, when he asks for more evidence or more philosophy, that's only going to puff him up. Knowledge puffs up, Scripture says. What does the cross do? It cuts us down. That's what we need in the Gospel. We need to be brought low. We need to be brought to the foot of our Savior. And this is the message that we have for our philosophers today. And you might think, Okay, Barnes & Noble has a philosophy section, but that's only for the nerds. Who, who's out there actually reading philosophy books today? Well, think about all the sociologists and psychologists and economists that are out there. Think of all the pundits that you hear on TV, the politicians, the scientists. What is our message to them? Is it evidence and philosophy? It shouldn't be. It sounds foolish to the world, but to us it's the power of God to take to all these people the cross. And our first word to them as we interact with the philosophers of our age is repent. You know that was Jesus' first word in His earthly ministry? Repent. As He set out to, to serve three years in a ministerial role, His first word, repent. Repent. And that's our message to the world. Repent of worldly wisdom and embrace the wisdom of God. I want you to see this in the book of James. So turn with me forward the last time you'll turn somewhere to the book of James toward the back of your Bible. James chapter 3. We see here that 
there are different types of wisdom. The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And we must call all men everywhere to repent, to embrace the wisdom of God. And in our own hearts, as we struggle with this until the day that we die, our message to ourselves has to be, repent and embrace the wisdom of God. James 3, verse 13. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. You see, there are different types of wisdom. One is demonic. James says, strong word. And the other comes from above. It is God's wisdom. We have access to it through the gospel and we grow in it through the gospel, the word of the cross. One last thing I want you to see in 1 Corinthians. One last thing. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 again. For since in the wisdom of God... The world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now when it says the foolishness of the message preached, it's not talking about a foolish message. The message itself is not intrinsically foolish. The preaching is not foolish. But in the world's eyes, it's all foolish. That's the context of that verse. That's what he means. And I want you to see that through this foolishness of the message preached, God was well pleased to save. Saving His people through the foolishness of the message preached pleases God. This is the same word that's used at Jesus' baptism. Remember when Jesus came out of the water, there was a voice from heaven? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And again at the transfiguration, God, the voice of God saying, in Him I am well pleased. Here's another place where we see what God is well pleased to do to save, to save those who believe. How much more pleasure should it bring us as we've been saved out of the world to take that message and to share it with others, to proclaim it to others, to declare it to others? Do we find pleasure in being the instrument in God's hand in bringing people to faith in Christ. I want you to see one verse. It'll be on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul wrote to this church saying, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. They were well pleased to impart the gospel. God is well pleased to save. That's a good match, isn't it? If Christians are well pleased to declare the message and God is well pleased to display His power by saving sinners, that's a good match. And we do that through the word of the cross. And that's what has been the mission at this church. 
It's been the word of the cross. Getting it out so that sinners would be saved through the word of the cross. Teaching it so that saints would grow through the word of the cross. And then sending them out so that other sinners could be saved through the word of the cross. That's the message of this church. It will always be the message of this church. That's our only mission, the gospel of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you again for your wonderful display of power in saving us, in bringing us to faith, in causing us to be adopted, to be born again. Lord, we ask that in the years to come, we would only continue in this work that you've started here and you have before us, that we would walk faithfully as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God, that we would serve diligently, seeking your wisdom, never losing sight of the word of the cross, that our wisdom would continually be sanctified as we first fear you and then look to the cross. Lord, we are your church. We are the people of your name. We are the called out ones in the world. And they think we're foolish. And we once thought the church was foolish ourselves. We once thought the cross was foolish. And yet here we are because of your doing. Give us a passion for the gospel and a passion for our community. And cause us to grow in faith each and every day as we experience more of your grace and mercy and love. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.